We could have sang that this morning as well, couldn't we? Prone to wonder, but Christ keeps us. Let me um, invite you to turn with me to Genesis uh, 25. Genesis uh, chapter 25. And we're going to read from verse 1, but before we read, uh, let's uh, pray and ask for God to speak. Father, thank you for your word, and we have it open before us because we believe it. We believe you. Uh, help us to listen intently as you speak, and by your Spirit who breathed out this word, who dwells in each of us who believe, instruct us and teach us and lead us to Christ again. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 25, and we're going to read uh, verse 1 uh, down to verse 11. And this is what God says. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Median, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashurim, Letishim, and Lumim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanoch, Abedah, and Eldah. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years. And he was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zuar, the Hittite, east of Mamre. The field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahai Roy. I'm going to end a reading at verse 11. I'm going to be referring to chapter 23 and to chapter 24 tonight as well, so please do keep your Bible handy and open. Um, I want to say that we realized uh, during lockdown uh, that there's nothing easy about teaching. Teaching is not a cinch as somebody might say, in the classroom. It's a very serious business. Um, teaching is, is not something to be taken lightly. One of the great blessings, uh, indeed challenges, of, of being a teacher, uh, being in the teaching profession, is that you have the potential to leave a legacy. And my dad, um, well, he, he always used to talk about the influence of his godly Sunday school teacher, and indeed school teacher, uh, when he was young in life. And teachers are day after day influencing the lives of their students, uh, a contribution that hopefully enlightens uh, their uh, students, whether they, they go on to become, I don't know, mothers or, or fathers or actors or scientists or doctors or entrepreneurs or, or factory workers or whatever it may be. It's a gift that, that has the potential to keep on giving. Most of us are, in fact, teachers in the broad sense. Actually, all of us are whether by default or intentionally. 
Because if you think about it, if you're a parent, for example, you teach your children. Uh, much of, of child rearing is, is nurture rather than nature. Uh, it's not um, George Orwell's big brother. Uh, no, uh, it's little son or little daughter watching you. Uh, they're watching you, uh, and it's a very serious responsibility. Or uh, wider than that, think about uh, the people that you meet, uh, every one of you. Uh, you talk with them, uh, and, and every time you, you do, you, you leave a little bit of yourself with them. Everyone's a teacher in that sense. Everyone leaves a legacy. When we get to Genesis 25, verse number 8, have a look. Um, we're told that Abraham has died. He's uh, reached the end. Um, he's, he's lived a long life. Uh, and the text emphasizes three times that, that it's been a long life. Uh, he, he's an old man, it says. He is at a good old age. He is full of years. He's uh, reached his reward. He's safely home. And we can imagine all the locals gathering to mourn for him. Uh, and everyone's got a, a take on, on what, he, what he taught them. Everyone's got memories. And, of course, it's not fitting to say ill of the dead, but, but for Abraham, they don't have to worry because he, he leaves a, a remarkable legacy. What does Abraham leave behind as he departs and passes into the presence of his Lord? Well, we're told in verse 5, have a look, that he gave all that he had to Isaac. Everything he owned goes to Isaac. Isaac is the promised son, but also the son of the promise. Uh, so the promise lives on with Isaac. Firstly, notice that he leaves promised land. For this, uh, we have to rewind 38 years. Um, Abraham is, um, is 137, uh, 38 years before, uh, and Sarah has, has just died. Look, turn back with me to chapter 23, and you'll get uh, a sense of this. Sarah has just died. Look at verse 1. Uh, she's lived um, the, the, the number of, of days the Lord has for her. It's, it's, a, it's 127 years. She's left this place. She's received her upgrade uh, to better things. And Abraham, well, he mourns for her. It's a, it's a sad chapter, Genesis 23. Uh, and rightly so, he, he mourns for her because he loved her and loved her deeply. And with her passing, uh, the, the issue is immediately there of, of where he's going to bury her. The, the, the question of, of burial. Where is he going to bury her? And of course, time is of the essence. Because, because you're usually buried the same day in this part of the world, as we remember from Lazarus last week, uh, John chapter 11. Uh, Abraham, of course, he, he lives in a tent, remember. So he... He's been living in a tent since he got here. So, so he's no place to bury his dead wife. And so he's left with a problem, isn't he? And, and he turns to the locals in Genesis 23. Uh, and he, he turns to the Hittites who live in the land of Canaan. And he, and he asks them if they'll sell him a burial plot. And there's a bit of a toing and froing goes on about money. Uh, and, and Abraham wants to buy it from the Hittites. This burial plot, but, and, and in particular of Ephron the Hittite, but, but they don't want any money. They just want him to bury his dead for no charge. Because, well, they really think well of Abraham. Look, look at verse 6 in chapter 23. Hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. 
See, he's got a good name, hasn't he, among the nations. The Hittites, you're a prince of God among us, they think. He's a light to the Gentiles like he was supposed to be. He's one that they can receive blessing. He's well liked, he's well thought of. And maybe they didn't really want to sell him the land. It's hard to tell exactly what's going on. There's a sort of negotiation in the ancient Near East. But Abraham wants to buy the land. He wants to buy the burial plot. But Abraham doesn't just want a small place to bury Sarah. He wants a piece of land for his own possession. Uh, A cave, uh, the cave of Machpelah, it's called. Uh, In fact, more than that, he doesn't just want the cave. He wants the field and the trees as well. You, You can read about that from verse 17 in chapter 23. And he doesn't want it for free. No, he wants to pay for it. And the reason he doesn't want it for free is probably because he doesn't want the land to be taken back uh, in the future or for some sort of obligation to be placed on him that, you know, quid pro quo, you know, you got this and we need this. No, he wants the title deeds. So nobody could say that. Uh, He wants to to pay for it. And, And it turns out that it isn't cheap because Joseph is sold as a slave in Genesis for 20 shekels of silver. But this field is 400. That's a a, a lot of money. In other words, it's either a really big field or he's being overcharged. It's probably a bit of both on the weight of the evidence. But but Abraham pays up the 400 shekels. He he pays the the asking price uh, and he makes sure that all the witnesses are in place and, and the deeds are transferred and it's his field. And he... He really does love Sarah, doesn't he? He pays her a fitting tribute by buying this expensive field for her to be buried in, in the cave. But it's also, it's also part of his legacy. Because when Abraham dies 38 years later, which we read, this is part of what he leaves to Isaac. Because in this field, indeed in this cave, will be buried Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah, and Jacob, and Leah. Uh, Rachel, she would have been buried there, but she's, um, she dies in childbirth near Bethlehem, and so she's buried there. This is known as the cave of the patriarchs. But it's not just that. Look at verse 2 in chapter 23, the part in brackets in your Bible. And what does it say? It says, that is... Hebron. Look at verse 19 in chapter 23, and it says the same thing in brackets. That is Hebron. In other words, the, the, the narrator of Genesis is trying to tell you something very important. He's trying to say, you know what? It's not just any old field. It's not just any old cave. This is in the right place. This is land in the right place. This, this land is, is in the promised land. And this is the land that Well, in fact, this is the first step towards Abraham and his descendants acquiring the whole of the land of Canaan. This is like kind of step one. One man's field is another man's step one to the whole country. That's what's going on. This small-scale purchase is actually about something bigger. But Abraham thinks bigger still because Hebrews 11 tells us that for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Abraham left a a small piece of the promised land to Isaac. 
But he also importantly left that desire for the promised land that's bigger still. The city whose builder and maker is God. So he left the promised land. Okay. Secondly, uh, he leaves practicing descendants. Uh, They say that a a church movement is only ever three generations from extinction. Think about, um, I don't know, someone tweaking uh, the message uh, of the Bible, maybe towards a kind of social gospel, you know, the idea that it's it's more about uh, looking after the poor than it is about repentance and sin, and and of course it's about both of those things, but you can't can't get rid of um, what what the, the central message is. You're going heavy on social action, light on, on doctrine. And the message could be lost in, in, in three generations. There's a, there's a guy who, who blogs called Justin Taylor on the Gospel Coalition. And, and he, he puts it like this, thinking about, you know, imagining the social gospel was to, be, was, was to take over in a pulpit. He would say, one generation believed the gospel and held as well that there were certain social and economic and political outworkings. The next generation assumed the gospel, uh, but, but identified with the outworkings only. And then the following generation denied the gospel because the outworkings became everything. In other words, you, you remove the, the sin, the, you remove the need for the saviour, you, you just leave the trimmings, you take away the cake and you just have the decoration. I mean, of course, God is sovereign, absolutely. But it's a timely reminder, isn't it, of our responsibilities to the next generation. Uh, You shall teach them to your children, says Deuteronomy 11, talking of them when you're sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. In other words, all the time you teach your children. You teach the next generation about the things of God. Our theme verse in 2019 was, Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. And Abraham, well, he he must have often thought about future generations when God made all these big promises to him. Surely he must have. And perhaps he wondered, I mean, how how am I going to influence them when I'm I'm dead and gone and pushing up daisies? How am I going to set them up to fulfill these promises? In chapter 24, if you consider it now, we're met with an, with an aging Abraham. He, he's, um, he, we're again told he's well advanced in years. And God has blessed him. But his focus turns to his descendants. And Isaac, Isaac has reached manhood at this point. And clearly, if he's going to be, um, have offspring as many as the stars of the sky, he's going to need a wife. And so uh, focus turns to Isaac and, and finding a wife for him in chapter 24. And Abraham, well, he continues to show great faith in God because he's aware of two possible dangers as Isaac looks for a wife. Two possible disasters, put it like that. Uh, one uh, is the possibility of Isaac marrying locally, a Canaanite woman, uh, the pagans in the land, you know, right, right around them, they're surrounded, he's, he's living in a tent, remember, in Canaan, that would not be good. Remember what happened to Lot in Sodom. We remember the Hagar episode. No, Abraham wants his son to get this one right. He, he didn't want him to be led astray for his heart to go elsewhere. The second possible disaster, right, was that Isaac would go back home 
to Haran. Uh, because, of course, the land, well, is theirs. God has promised it, but, but it's not to be given up. You don't head back to Haran and, you know, you're going to lose the land. So Abraham wants a wife from Haran in Mesopotamia, from his ancestors, for Isaac, but he doesn't want him to go back there. You get it. No, he has to live in Canaan. And so off the servant goes uh, to find a woman with these two requirements. She has to come with me, and she has to be from Haran, and and, and the servant, well, he throws a spanner in the works. Chapter 24, verse 5. Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which she came? He sort of splits the two dangers in two. And he says, well, which one's more important to you, Abraham? Is it a wife from there or, or, or does staying in Canaan matter more? Which one is it? Which is the bigger issue, Abraham? But Abraham's having none of it. Look at verse 7. He, he, he quotes God, right? This is what he says. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. You see what he's saying? He's saying God will provide. Jehovah Jireh, that's the language, right? He will send his angel to provide, just like he did on Mount Moriah, and, and, and he does provide, and he provides a young lady called Rebecca, and she marries Isaac. I wonder when the last time uh, you quoted God like that was, quoted a promise like that. that that's a good thing to do, to, to quote a promise. You can tell um, a lot by someone's last words, on his deathbed, uh, evangelist D.L. Moody uh, turned to his sons uh, who were at his bedside and he said, if God be your partner, make your plans large. He, he left a legacy to his, to his descendants. Abraham's last words in the Bible are in verse 8 of chapter 24. Only you must not take my son back there. That's his last words in the Bible. He left a legacy to his descendants. His legacy is to say, you know what? I believe in the covenant. I believe God. He starts setting the ship of his family firmly in the direction that he himself was heading in his life. You know, he's saying, you know what? I want you to carry on in that direction. To finish the course to the end. Abraham is setting a precedent. He's teaching his family well. He's teaching them that the most important thing is what God says and what God wants. And it's going to ripple down to the next generation as Isaac sends Jacob back to his father's house to, to seek a wife out for him there. I have no doubt that um, Abraham taught Isaac well, that he introduced him and instructed him in the ways of the Lord that he explained to him the significance of what happened that day on Mount Moriah. His son is his immediate concern. But, but he, he's, more, he's got more blessing in him than that because he, he blesses more than just his family because his servant here is clearly well taught in the ways of God. The Hittites, remember, they, they, they see him as a prince of God among them. And Abraham is, is bringing blessing to many, many people from many nations. But Abraham's main legacy is the one that he's known for. Henry 
William Henry Hoover is known for uh, producing one of the early vacuum cleaners. Alexander Graham Bell is known for inventing the telephone. John Logie Baird, the television. And Steve Jobs is known for finding Apple. Abraham, well, what's he known for? He's known for his faith, isn't he? He leaves particular faith. We'll see that. Finally, his legacy is, is actually well documented in, in the New Testament. Seventy times he's mentioned in the New Testament, more than any other Old Testament character. And we'll see more of that next week as we finish our series. Ten times he's mentioned in Romans and Galatians and, and Hebrews. And each of those ten times he's mentioned with reference to faith. Romans 4.20 Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Galatians 3 verse 9, So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. If they were to write on his cave stone, his tombstone, it would have been something like, I don't know, friend of God, father of the faithful, or maybe something shorter and succinct, friend of God. Prayer is, is audible faith, isn't it? You know that? It's like you expressing verbally that you really believe. Otherwise, you wouldn't bother. It's not just that you're supposed to try and get what you want. No, no, you're saying, I believe God when you pray. Our Father, we're, we're, we're saying, you know what? I, I lean on you as my Father. You're, I don't have the ability, and you do have the ability. And Abraham will... He's clearly a man of prayer, if you remember. He prays for Abimelech, and he's healed. He prays for Sodom with that, with that plead of mercy as he tries to be like a kind of intermediary for them. What does a servant pray in chapter 4, verse 12? Look at that. Chapter 24, sorry, verse 12. He said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham, and, and he's asking you know, God to send out that young lady who will respond uh, to, a, to a drink uh, with a willingness to let the camels drink as well. And where do you think the servant learned to pray like that? Huh? Where do you think he learned to pray like that? And he learned it from Abraham. But there's more. There's more uh, to Abraham than a sort of catch-all statement that he was a, that he was a man of faith. Sinclair Ferguson, uh, many years ago, wrote a book entitled Add to Your Faith. Uh, and it's a, it's a great little book. In fact, the title comes from, from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, which says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness. Salvation isn't a one-stop shop in terms of that's us done and dusted. I mean, it, as I said earlier, it, 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 it is sealed and delivered. It's, it's certain. But actually, there's more because you need to grow. You need to grow. And that's what happens with Abraham. He, he grows in grace. God takes a man who was very concerned about his own security, who, who puts his, his wife's chastity at risk uh, more than once, who has issues with being a leader in his own home, and he, and, he, and he makes him a new man. He goes to work on him. 
And through walking with God and, and, and relying on him, Abraham's character has developed. Did, did you notice it as we, as we studied it? Things that made him unproductive in the ways of God were, were the very things that God went to work on and taught him. And he, and he passed on the best land because he knew God could work in another man's free choice. That's, that's Lot. He became brave for God in, in, a, in a battle with the northern kings. This is the man that was frightened of, of his own skin. He had a heart for others whenever it came to those that were going to perish in Sodom. And he prayed for them. And he sought to, to, to ask God repeatedly to, 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 to hold back. And he learns about God's ways in, in patience and, 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 and his judgment. And, and as such, he learns about God. But it's, it's not like a, a sort of linear graph, you know, it's not like a straight line. No, it's, it's full of like troughs and, and peaks, this, this walk of faith. And, and in fact, that's the way it is with all of us. But it's certainly progressing in, a, in an upward way. Over and over again, God confronts Abraham with who he is. Who God is. And that makes all the difference. And, and he relies on God and he, and he waits for him and he, he bows to his providence and he obeys him to such an extent that he's willing to raise the knife to his own son because he knows that God will make it work out. That's the, the crux of it, isn't it? To, to know that God will make it work out. That's, that's, the, that's the, the, the step of faith, isn't it? The eyes of faith. If you um, were to Google how to leave a legacy. Well, the, the sort of Bible of the secular West might say this. Number one, support the people and causes that are important to you. Number two, reflect and decide what is most important in your life. Number three, share your blessings with others. Number four, be a mentor to others. And number five, pursue your passions because they are infectious. That's what it would say. But four out of the five of those are are all me focused? Do you, do you see that? Abraham's list would be very different because the faith of Abraham isn't me focused. You know, the legacy of Abraham is a faith that, that, that looks forward, a faith that looks to another, a faith that's, that's, that's actually all about Christ. Abraham's legacy is, is a signpost forward, a signpost away from himself, in fact. A signpost looking on to the one to come. And alas, the long life of Abraham, the patriarch, the father of, of a nation, the father of all who are faithful comes to an end as the life of all men does. He's buried in the same cave he purchased for Sarah. And Isaac and Ishmael, well, they sort of come back together <laughs> to bury him. There's a kind of reconciliation there, and, and there's a sense of peace all around the passing of the great man, because all men must die. And it's peaceful, because it's well with his soul, and all things valuable have been passed on. I wonder what your epitaph would be when your day comes. What it will read on your, on your headstone. Decent fellow. Never did anyone any harm. Church goer. Reliable. 
far more important. What will your unspoken legacy be? What will you leave that will keep on giving and keep on inspiring when you're long gone? And we consider tonight the great importance for each one of us to leave a legacy that's, that's worth leaving. Will it be a plot of land, a piece of property that, 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 that they can enjoy while living here on earth? Or will it be a desire for better things? A signpost to the city whose builder and maker is God. A, a desire to think of, of that better land, that the new heaven and the new earth, and of which this is but a pale and paltry reflection. And we feel the groan of it this autumn, don't we? How it's so deeply disappointing some days. Will it be many descendants that you'll leave? Will it be sons and daughters that follow in your footsteps because you've taught them the ways of the Lord? Taught them to pray and how it's normal to talk with God? Taught them to read the Bible because that's what mommy and daddy do? Taught them that God is more important to you than soups or clothes or cars or whatever it is. Perhaps you have no children, but of course the important thing is that you do leave that legacy to everyone that you meet, young or old. And you have an influence on the younger generation, I assure you. You can't opt out of it. You always leave something. What will you leave on the hearts of those who follow you? A signpost. A sign that says, don't, don't follow me as it were, but, but follow the one I'm looking to. A life looking towards Jesus Christ. A life where everyone knows that he's what you're all about. He's the king of your life. He's the one that you wish to point to. Because you know, and that's the only lasting thing that your legacy should be all about. Let's bow our heads together in a word of prayer. Father, give us um, your grace and faith. Give us strength and encouragement. Give us, we pray, that desire to leave a legacy that is God-honoring, God-glorifying, and points to Christ. And we ask this in our Savior's name. Amen.